a sip instead of yours. If you're looking for a way to get more positive things going into your life, I'd encourage you to check out our friends at Christian Living Magazine. You can find out everything you need at ChristianLivingMag.com. We took a took the summer off. If you guys are new new to sip and study, welcome. Uh, we took the summer off, which is not normal for us, but because of the missions training, we're getting ready to head out, or we're in the process of of transitioning from the ministry and regular jobs and and everything that we do here in the states, and and we're missionaries heading over to Pakistan, and so good stuff. We love it. Uh, we love the people. This is great. But it, some of the extra training, it, it just took up a lot of time this summer. And so we ended up saying, not right now. <laughs> so we had to take the summer off. We are going to continue in on the study of the book of Hebrews, or really the letter, the epistle to the Hebrews. This is our 11th lesson. I know that's kind of an odd spot to start back into this, but it's what we got. So we're into the 11th lesson into it. This is chapter nine. It's the second half of chapter nine. So 15 to 28, this is the new covenant and will. The author of Hebrews transitions just a little bit here. Not a ton because really we're, we're still covering stuff that has been covered. So if you're, if it's been all summer since you've been in Hebrews, <laughs> you might, it might behoove you to go back just a little bit to catch up on this. Uh, check some of the previous videos out to, to just kind of, catch back up and see where we're at, but does a little bit of a transition, but not a ton of a transition here. Let's go ahead. Let's, let's dig into this. Hope you have a good cup of coffee going this morning, but here we go. Let's do it. Hebrews 9, 15 to 28 in the English standard version. Therefore, he is the mediator of a new covenant so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance since a death has occurred that redeem them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. For where a will is involved, the death of the one who made it must be established. For a will takes effect only at death, since it is not in force as long as the one who made it is alive. Therefore, not even the first covenant was inaugurated without blood. For when every commandment of the law had been declared by Moses to all the people, he took the blood of the calves and goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people saying, this is the blood of the covenant that God commanded for you. And in the same way, he sprinkled with the blood, both the tent and all the vessels used in worship. Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Thus, it was necessary for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these rites, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ is entered not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly 
as the high priest enters the holy places every year with blood not his own. For then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with the sin, but to save those who are eagerly awaiting for him. All right, so this breaks down into two basic sections now that I've kind of clamored my way through that. It's, it's all right. Verses 15 to 22, we get the new covenant and will. And 23 to 28, we see Christ's great sacrifice, or really the greater sacrifice. All right, 15, therefore. Verse 15, and whenever we see a therefore, we always want to go back and see what it's there for. And, and we've done that a lot throughout this, and we're going to continue to do that because it really is just a good practice. And when it's a good practice, it's something that, I don't know, maybe we should continue to do because it's a good practice, right? Just because we have it figured out, we think we're good to go, doesn't mean that we should stop doing it. If it's good, it's it's still good, right? We should continue to do this. So therefore, this is referencing back verses 11 to 14, really even further than that, but that's all we're going to grab for today. Verses 11 to 14 say this, but when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. So it's, it's going in from that. So it's saying, therefore, because this will purify, how much more will the blood of Christ purify our conscience from dead works? And remember the dead works was a reference specifically to living under the law and trying and doing whatever you could to attain perfection through the law, which is not possible. It wasn't the point of the law. Okay. Therefore, since our conscience, since the blood of Christ is even better to purify our conscience from the dead works to serve the living God, therefore, he is the mediator of a new covenant. It's different. It's a new covenant, right? This is a new... Now, a covenant in the ancient world, a covenant was what we would consider more of like a contract, we're, we're going to see here because he, he kind of does a semantics shift. And it really is. It's a working of semantics, right? It's not necessarily he's changing major doctrine. He's not changing major terminology or anything. But he takes a shift from this being looking at this covenant and this commandment as being more of a contract to being more of a, a will and testament, something that there has to be death. And it, and it makes sense. Okay, it really does make sense. And that's one of the first things that, I, I mean, I, even my kids were asking when they were young. And I think they still ask and wonder today. I mean, they, it's been a while since they've asked me directly, but I, I, it's it's a common question. It really is. If God's a good God, why why does there have to be blood? Like, why did things have to die? Well, 
we get a little bit of an answer to that here. So therefore, he is the mediator of this new covenant, so that those who called, who are called, excuse me, may receive the promised eternal inheritance. Since a death has occurred, that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. Now, remember, he's still pulling back to this 11 through 14. After this, therefore, okay, all of this stuff has happened. Like the the sprinkling of the the ashes of the heifer and the blood and of the goats and the bulls, this will purify the flesh and, and do this other stuff. But man, it doesn't it doesn't really help necessarily with the conscience, right? It doesn't help with the internals of this. And so how much more is that? So that those who are called now this new covenant, okay, that also looks to eight six, chapter eight, verse six, because they he is a mediator of that new covenant. Now, 8.6 says this, but as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old as the covenant he mediates is better since it is, in, since it is enacted on a better promise or on better promises. Okay, so this is, this is a good thing. He is the mediator. He's the in-between, Right of this new covenant so that those who are called now here's here's kind of a fun spot this is one of those interesting things where where you're going to see some theology lines start to show and start to divide people oh they're called this is talking about predestination this is talking about it's actually not talking about predestination we need to understand who who is being talked to right now well it's it's Jews who took the natural next step of, hey, we've been waiting for the Messiah and he came. Maybe we should follow said Messiah, right? And so they took that natural next step forward with Jesus and they're going through that. Well, they were getting ridiculed. The most other Jews wouldn't talk to them, wanted nothing to do with them. They saw this as, as blasphemy. They saw what they were doing as bad because they didn't recognize Jesus as the Messiah. So they're getting ridiculed. Well, it's the time. And we're going to see a couple spots in here where the author starts pointing to the time. It's a timing thing. Those who are called, those who, 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 it's the right time to do this and you're moving forward. This is a representation of those who have transitioned from traditional Judaism to accepting that the Messiah came and that the Messiah did change some things, right? The Messiah changed the way that we understood how things were supposed to be. And he brought us closer to God. He eliminates that divide, that sin divide that separates us. He grants us and brings us into a position to where we can fully communicate and have a better and more true and a more full relationship with God. And so those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. This isn't saying predestination. That is not what this is. It does not. In fact, here's here's the note that I had for this. The phrasing here does not lend towards predestination, but rather comfort for those who have moved forward in faith from traditional Judaism to following Jesus. The author is continuing his thoughts here from, believe it or not, even further back, chapter three, verse one, which says this, therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confessions. Is part of that heavenly calling moving forward. You're part of God's kingdom. That's what this is. The author is assuring them that the guilt that they feel from the old covenant is washed clean and that they can rest assured that Jesus' death covered everything from the old. Again, it ties back to the therefore. 
It's covering the old transgressions. Their conscience is cleared from the dead works and all of the things that they had done previously trying to atone or attain this relationship with God. Didn't need it. God wants that relationship. And he came through Jesus to do that and to mend that and to bring it to fruition. 16 to 17. For where a will is involved. Now, here's the shift. Here's the shift where we're transitioning from this covenant being more of just a straight up contract. Okay. If you think of the old covenant, this was more of a a contract. And that's, you think of the shedding of blood. Well, all right. Sin has happened. Okay. Well, the punishment for sin is death, right? It's the eternal separation from God. So there has to be blood, which I think that's where, I think that's where so many people get caught up in this. God can't really be good if he still demands blood. Well, unfortunately, to be in the presence of God demands perfection, right? It demands that that you have to be on that plane. You have to be there. And so you, you have to have something there. Something has to take the punishment. Something has to take that. Okay, so you have the shedding of blood here. But we're starting to get this transition from this being a straight-up contract, like, Okay, you're going to do this because I deemed that you have to do this. And now it's really, let's let's change this. Let's change our understanding of what this is. And instead of it being just a straight-up contract and, well, if you want to get to me, then uh, their blood's got to be paid. Let's change this. We have been looking at this wrong. That's what's going on here. We've been looking at this wrong. We have a misunderstanding of the heart of God. Let's not look at this as a contract, things and a checklist of what we have to do when realistically, it's more like a will. God wants us to be with him. He wants us to be forgiven. He wants us to be washed clean so that we can come home and be with him where we're supposed to be. But in order for a will to be enacted, somebody's got to die. The person who wrote the will has to be gone. They can't be here anymore. Okay, so 16, 17. For where a will is involved, the death of the one who made it must be established. The death must be established. They have to die. For a will takes effect only at death, since it is not in force as long as the one who made it is alive. Now, I I, <laughs> I, I love this. My, my grandma on my father's side, would would joke it, it i know it was a joke to her it got to the point where it, you either laughed it off or if you if you were in a position to where it it really rubbed you the wrong way it was really hard to laugh it off but she had this joke and i know my granddad had it too but he he passed when i was young so i i didn't hear it from him as much but she had this joke of you do something she's like oh that's it you're out of the will well the funny thing about that is she didn't have a will she had a trust which works a little bit <laughs> differently. So I already wasn't in it, right? So she could write me out of that sucker as many times as she wanted to. But the point is, it's not in effect until after you pass away. It is your last will. So this is what happens after you're no longer here to take care of things on your own. You have it written down. Yes, it's in like a contract form, but you write it down this is where I want this to go. Bobby can have my skateboard. Susie can have my GI joke. Oh, I don't know, whatever. Things are weird these days. So you just go through stuff. And then once you pass away, the attorney goes through it and says, okay, 
they wanted this to happen with this. They want this much money to go here. They want this much money to go here after all the debts are paid, right? Because you got to take care of your debts. That has to be settled. Tax man doesn't care. So, you know, they go through and you take care of all this stuff and then everything else gets divided. However it is, and it's written in the will. But that only happens after you die. And that's what's being said here. We're changing the mindset and we're changing the reality. This isn't a contract of do this, now this has to die because I just want blood. It's not God saying, I just want blood. It's God saying, it's, it's a will. This only happens after death. Right? That's just what this is. Now, the, the Greek here is diathiki. Wow, I can't speak today. Anyway, the, it, the actual term here does mean covenant. It does mean covenant, but this is a semantic shift. And the author here is changing this to move this into, into that. Now, because it, it really was traditionally seen as a contract, but it's now changing this mindset again, saying this, we, we kind of got this backwards. We don't have the right, the right understanding here because we're missing the heart of God in this situation. All right, 18 to 21. Therefore, not even the first covenant was inaugurated without blood. Hmm. Saying it's not just that God was heartless and just says, I want blood. It wasn't like a lot of the, the deities believed in the days of old to where just, you know what? You ticked me off. Lightning bolt death, right? That's not how this was, okay? We missed the heart of God. Therefore, not even the first covenant was inaugurated without blood. For when every commandment of the law had been declared by Moses to all the people, he took the blood of calves and goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people saying, this is the blood of the covenant that God commanded for you. And in the same way, he sprinkled with the blood, both the tent and all the vessels used in worship. Now, this is, this is, this is fun. Not really, but <laughs> this is, this is a summary of the enactment of the first covenant. Now it's, it's a blending. I, I, I got to take that back. This is a kind of a blending of the enactment of the first covenant and during ritual worships and regular sacrifices and these other events. Now, now this, the scarlet wool and hyssop, these were, and this is why I said this, the scarlet wool and hyssop are mentioned throughout regular sacrifices and, and these other pieces throughout scripture. They're a normal piece. And we recognize that through, through history. We recognize that through scripture. And it was an understood situation. Remember, this was a former Jew transitioned to, to following Jesus, writing to former Jews who have transitioned to following Jesus. Okay, they would understand the cultural context here. Now, why am I making a point of that? Well, you're going to see, because when we look back at the actual direct account in Exodus as to the, the inauguration of this, it doesn't bring some of this up. And so it's kind of a blending of the original inauguration and when sacrifices were made, because they would go over the law, they would go over this, they would repeat this stuff so they would know and would remember, because they were supposed to remember. But unfortunately, it became kind of this ritual act, and they lost the heart of God. They retained the knowledge, but they lost the heart. And so they missed the point behind it. But here's the Exodus account. And you can look this up for yourself and follow along. This is Exodus chapter 24. We're only looking through verses 3 to 8. It's a little bit more than this, but we, we kind of narrowed it down. Okay, verses 3 to 8. Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the rules. 
And all the people answered with one voice and said, All the words that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And Moses wrote down all the words of the Lord. He rose early in the morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain and 12 pillars, according to the 12 tribes of Israel. And he sent young men of the people of Israel who offered burnt offerings and sacrificed peace offerings of oxen to the Lord. And Moses took the half of the blood and put it in basins and half of the blood he threw against the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people. And they said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do, and we will be obedient. And Moses took the blood and threw it on the people and said, Behold, the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance to all of these words. This is great. I mean, from a Western standpoint, man, I, it's, it's, this seems gross, right? From a very Western standpoint, this seems kind of disgusting. <laughs> But it's what it was. Okay, this the inauguration, this this event, it was done after death because it's a will. It's not just like a contract. There still had to be death involved in this. And it's not because God, God just is, is vengeful and wants death. It's because it's a will. It's a will. In order to get to God, you have to cross over that. 22. I know that sounds kind of like a, a new agey terminology. I'm just trying to think, how can we phrase this in ways that that culturally people can understand? And there you go. That's that's the best I can come up with on a Saturday morning. Verse 22. Let's wrap up this little section, this half of this section here. Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. And what's interesting is... He almost contradicts himself here. The author does. We see under the law, almost, almost everything. And then without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. Now, this is kind of separated by two things. First of all, we see under the law. This is the Mosaic law. This is the original. This is the original covenant. Almost everything is purified with blood. And this is kind of him catching himself. And I, I, this, I, this, to me, this is one of those instances where I go, man, this is kind of like a Luke, Luke-esque attribute because it's, it's like just catching himself, right? It's one of those, well, there is a loophole. And so we want to make sure that we understand that because you're going to have some, some wise aleck out there who's going to say, no, 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 not everything. There's, if people were poor, they could get around that and do a grain offering for forgiveness. Which, by the way, is true. Let's go to Leviticus. Leviticus chapter 5, verses 11 and 12. But if you cannot afford two turtle doves or two pigeons, again, this is the shortened version because we don't need it. We're already doing lots of scripture. We don't need tons of it. But if he cannot afford two turtle doves or two pigeons, then he shall bring his offering for the sin that he has committed. Notice that. This is a sin offering. This is, this is an offering to cover sin. Offering for the sin he has committed a tenth of an ephath of fine flour for a sin offering. Flour for a sin offering? He shall put no oil on it and shall put no frankincense on it. For it is a sin offering. Doubled down. It's a sin offering. And he shall bring it to the priest and the priest shall take a handful of it as memorial portion and burn it on the altar on the Lord's food offering. It is a sin offering. 
And then if you go on to the next verse, it actually talks about how, and then the priest can keep the rest of it because it's, it's just like the food offering. But it's, it's still the same thing. You could, if you couldn't physically afford it. And this is the thing. God's not out there just saying, I, I want blood because I want blood. I'm vengeful. No, we're missing the heart of God. God loves people. He loves humanity. He loves his creation. If he didn't, he wouldn't have created it. God loves his creation and he wants to provide a way for this. And he understands some people are in situations that they can't necessarily afford this. And that unfortunately other people will take advantage of that. And some people are so rule conscious and rule heavy, which by the way, if you follow the disc system with personalities, I am what you call a high C. I, I Rules are there for a reason, but I also understand some rules need to be bent, right? Maybe not broken, but bent. I am a high C individual. I like rules. Rules make sense. Rules make the world go around. This is a loophole because God knew because it's almost like he created people or something. I don't know. But he knew that this was going to be an issue. There's going to be people who can't afford this, that can't get this. So what are they going to do? Are they going to go steal? Are they going to go steal and do more sin to cover their sin? Or or is is it's just going to look like God doesn't care about poor people because they can't afford the sin offering. And so what he does, he says, no, 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 because it's not really about that anyway. I want their heart because my heart is their heart. Okay. I want that relationship with them. That's what he really wants. And so he says, if they can't afford this, they can afford to do a grain offering. And there it is. He provides a loophole. But then if we look back into verse 22, there's a comma. Now, mind you, in the original text, there's no comma because they didn't have punctuation. But indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood, comma. And I really appreciate this comma because it is a separation of thought. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. That is a true emphasis. Let's do that again. Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. End point. New point. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. The question isn't, does the blood need to be shed? The question is, whose blood or what blood? Hey, Sip and Studiers. As you may know, the family and I have been called into missions and are now officially missionaries to the church in Pakistan can't tell you how excited we are for this. It's a great opportunity, and we are so blessed for it. But if you've known anybody who's gone into missions, you know, can't do it on our own. We need people to be partnered with us, partnered in prayer, and yes, also in financial support. But there's so much more. If you feel God tugging at your heart, letting you know that he has a plan for you to make an impact in the church in Pakistan, we'd love for you to reach out to us and partner with us. And you can do that and more at chogglobal.org slash dsbrown. That's chogglobal.org slash dsbrown, as in Drew and Sonny Brown. Now, back to the study. 23. Thus. There you go. Thus. Thus is almost like a therefore. It's again, it's a, it's a joining word. We are joining the thoughts here. Blood must be shed. There is, there is no forgiveness without the shedding of blood. 
Okay, God's heart was in the past. God's heart was. Even if you're poor and you can't afford that right sacrifice, I will accept this grain offering because I want your heart. But unfortunately, you, there still needs to be blood. But if they are looking forward towards the Messiah, if they are looking forward and putting their faith and trust in God and putting their faith and trust in the coming Messiah, because that was the point. Thus, it was necessary for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these rites. But the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. Because remember, these are copies. The, the tent, the tabernacle, the, the, the temple, all of this stuff. This is all copies. The high priests that we had here on earth, copies. This is all copies of the heavenly things. Okay, if we look back at Hebrews 8.5, you can actually take a look here. Hebrews 8.5. Uh, they serve a copy and shadow of the heavenly things. For when Moses was about to erect the tent, he was instructed, and it goes on, okay? These serve as a copy and shadow. Thus, it was necessary for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these rites, with that blood. But the heavenly things, no longer the copies, the real heavenly things, themselves with better sacrifice than these. The actual with better sacrifice. This is not an indication that human sin defiled heaven itself. Okay, we need to, we need to point this out because you're going to have somebody who's going to sit there and say, ah, here's the theological piece. Our sin has actually crossed over and is now affecting heaven. No. This is not an indication that the sin of man defiled heaven itself. For God would have had to leave heaven if it had. But rather that the blood of Christ, the blood of Jesus, rectified our blemish or our banishment, excuse me, our blemishment and our banishment due to the sin, granting us the original designed relationship with God. Heaven was much more empty than God wanted it to be. Let's just put it that way, okay? Not because our sin had affected it and crossed into that and had tainted heaven, but heaven was missing the people that was meant to be there because of sin's banishment from heaven. Christ's blood rectified that. 24 to 26, for Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, referring to the temple, the tabernacle, these, have, these earthly representations of heavenly things, okay? Christ, Jesus, has entered not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Let's take a pause. Let's look at this. Let's go back to chapter 7, verse 25. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives. Because he's not dying again, right? He always lives to make intercession for them because he is in heaven. He is in the true heavenly things because he is in heaven working on our behalf to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. He's our mediator. He is an intercessor. He works on our behalf. 
nor was it to offer himself as 25, nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest enters the holy places every year with blood, not his own. For then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. This is a deep theological point. And this is one of those things that if you go through ministry training and you go through sitting through boards and uh, let's say you want to get licensed or you, you eventually get to the point where you're trying to be ordained and you're going through studies and you're doing all of this stuff. This is actually a pretty sticking point. Did Does Jesus, and this is something I've been asked several times by a couple different groups that I've worked with. Do you, do you believe that Jesus had to suffer repeatedly or he continues to suffer? Did he suffer once or did he suffer multiple times? He suffered once, once. He died on the cross one time. That was it. That one time on the cross was it. There's no need for further. Okay, he was not like an earthly style high priest. He was a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Remember, go back, watch that stuff. We did a lot of information on the order of Melchizedek. Okay. So Jesus was a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. He was eternal and is eternal. He died on the cross as propitiation for our sins, right? He died as that perfect sacrifice. That is one of the key things of Christianity. He was born of a virgin. He lived a sinless life. No sin, no problems. He died on the cross on the third day. The death day counts. That is died on Friday, Good Friday, Saturday. Rose on the third day, Sunday, okay? Rose on the third day. That's why it's Easter Sunday. And is now waiting in heaven for his triumphant return. Okay, these are kind of the key tenets of, of Christianity, right? But that's one of the things is, does, does he continue to do it? No, He's not like an earthly high priest that has to go up back in there and make sacrifices and make atonement again and again and again and again, because he'd have to continue to suffer every single time. No, it is a perfect sacrifice. It was a perfect sacrifice that ended sacrifices. It was it. It's done. Blood was needed and blood was paid. In fact, I think that's something that we need to understand when we are wronged by others and we sit there and say, God, I, blood is needed on this one. This was so bad. I've been hurt so bad. Someone in your kingdom has been hurt this bad. Blood must be paid. Which, by the way, if we're honest, I think most of us have been in a situation to where we felt, yeah, the death might be an appropriate response here, right? If we're being honest, I'm not saying we would do something, and I would highly encourage you not to do anything. That's not appropriate. But we see throughout the scriptures, God says, vengeance is mine. Okay vengeance is mine. So give it to God. Pray for your enemies now. Not in that that for bad to happen to them. Pray for good. And keep in mind, vengeance is mine. But vengeance is towards sin. That blood was paid. Like the blood was paid for you. The blood was paid for them. We all make mistakes. We all have problems. We all do these things, right? That blood was paid. Jesus paid that blood with his own blood. God paid it with his own blood. By coming down as Jesus and doing this. Okay, this is not a, a needed thing to where it has to go a time and time and time and time again. It was a once and for all. We don't have to add to this either. Okay, I want to point that out. Not only is it, does Jesus not have to repeat this? We don't have to add to it. What Jesus did was enough. It was more than enough. 
In fact, it was the only thing that would and could work. We don't have to add to this. It's done. Well, let's move on just a little tiny bit here because there's, there's some verbiage here that gets a little confusing. But as it is, now this is the middle of 26. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages. Well, that's an interesting way to phrase this. Shouldn't it just be age? At the end of the age? But what age? Why is it plural? What ages are ending? To put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. What, what ages? What ages are ending here? Into the ages. It would appear the author is actually speaking in a dual position here. Right? He's, he's making a couple different points. Both the climax and or the end of the Old Testament era. That's done. Finished. That era is over. Jesus came at the end of that age. And potentially also about the end of time as we know it. Because, and I say that because he's about to reference the second coming. So the end of the Old Testament age, the end of uh, like the way we do calendars, I mean, that would be a really big stretch. Someone could maybe position and make that point, I guess. But really, it's the end of that age, the Old Testament era, the end of the way we think about these things. It's the end of the Jews being God's only people to now God's accepting people from every group all the Gentiles as well, as long as they come to him through Jesus. And also, the end of time. Let's take a look at that. 27 and 28. And just as it is appointed for man to die once, this is a reference to Genesis 3, verse 19, by the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. You ever wondered at a funeral when they say dust to dust? There you go. That's why. Okay. We die once. Is appointed for man to die once. And after that comes judgment. We don't like that term. But remember, in the Greek, this term meant something else. It was actually a duality term. It, it has, it's like a double-edged sword, right? There is the judgment of bad, which is how we tend to, in the West, look at this word. This is a bad word. I'm being judged. You can't judge me. Who do you think you are? Do you, you just judge me? You don't have any right to do that. It's not a bad thing. Judgment can be a negative, but in the Greek, it can also be a positive in dealing out rewards. You've been judged righteous. Okay. It's not necessarily just a bad thing. Is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. 28. So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, one time, will appear a second time not to deal with sin, because that has been done. He does not need to sacrifice himself for sin. That is done. But to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. That is a reference of the second coming. Okay. So references the dust to dust. We die once. It's appointed for man to die one time. But then we start referencing Christ and we start looking at the second coming. Let's take a look at Matthew 20, 28. Even as the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Okay. Makes sense. He dealt once with sin. We get the second time. Let's take a look at Acts 111. And said, Men of Galilee, 
why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. He's going to return. Let's take a look at 1 Corinthians 15, 23 to 26. But each in his own order, Christ, the first fruits, right? He's the first of the resurrection. He had to be. I mean, obviously, the first one to resurrect is going to be the first of the resurrection. He's the first fruits. And then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. Mm. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God, the Father, after destroying every rule and every authority and every power. Pause for a second. Those are actual terminologies for the demonic. This is this is part of the, this isn't like, well, he's going to kill all of the, see, God doesn't like leadership. God doesn't like, you know, people who run countries and cities and stuff. Watch out, you mayors and governors and presidents and, and kings and queens. No, no, no. This isn't necessarily about that. These are heavenly authority, but this is actually bad authority. Okay, this is those who left God's counsel and are working and trying to, well, they're actually working with Satan, right? They're working with the enemy. They are trying to maintain control and keep people from going towards God and keeping them going away from God in any way possible, okay? Any way possible. So these are evil authority. Every rule, every authority, every power, those are normal terms for that. 25, for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. And then we see eagerly waiting, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Let's take a look at Philippians chapter 3, verse 20. But our citizenship is in heaven. Right? Because once you follow God, once you follow Jesus and, and you're sealed with the Holy Spirit, guess what? You're in the kingdom of God. Your citizenship is in heaven. We should default to I'm in God's kingdom, them and I'm in whatever earthly kingdom I'm in. We should represent God's kingdom over the kingdom that we live in on earth, okay? But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it, we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, eagerly waiting for him. The scriptures here are not talking about you're chosen and therefore you don't have to worry about it or it's done. It is those eagerly awaiting. It's the time, right? It's eagerly awaiting. Look for Jesus and look to Jesus. Take away. What can we take away from this? First of all, Jesus has secured the salvation of those who believed with his own blood. Okay. He has secured the salvation of those who believe in him. And he did this with his own blood. It was the perfect sacrifice, not needing to be done again and again like the sacrifices of old. Jesus died once and for all, for all who call on his name. Jesus is now interceding on our behalf, giving us the ability to have full and true relationship with God. We can just talk to him. We don't have to go through somebody else. Can you? Sure. Does God give words of wisdom and does God give things for you through other people? Absolutely. But we can also pray and talk directly with God. It's a wonderful thing. Also, our heavenly life begins once we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior. We are sealed with the Holy Spirit and are then and there a part of the kingdom of God. Thus, we can eagerly await the second coming of Jesus. 
We don't need to worry about bad judgment, judgment against sins. It's a judgment of, here, let's look at what you've done with your life and get your rewards. It's a good judgment. Our sins are forgiven. They're taken care of. That's done. Jesus paid that. We can live knowing that and eagerly await the second coming of Christ. So this leads to the questions here. How are you living in the joy of knowing that you are in the kingdom of the living God? And in what ways is the light of that joy being shown through you? Father God, thank you so much for today. Thank you for your word. Thank you for those who have come in here and are, are joining in in this study that we can dig through your word together, where we can grow in deeper understanding, deeper knowledge, and hopefully grow ever closer to you. I ask that you touch us, that you impart your Holy Spirit on us even more today, that your love may shine through us in an even brighter way, that we can go out into the world and during these times where every time you turn around, it seems like there's more and more bad. There's more and more hardship. There's more and more struggle. There's more and more fury, anger, belittlement. Like things that just seem to be falling apart everywhere. God, I just ask that, that you show your love for humanity, for your creation, through your people, and that you impart that love on us in a way that we can't help but spread that out there. And send us out today to go and be your light amongst the nations. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you guys so much for joining. I hope you guys have a great rest of your weekend. This is a good starting off point for jumping into the weekend and have a great week. We'll see you guys next time. God bless. Bye-bye.